Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing the message today out of the book of Revelation as I continue this verse-by-verse study through this amazing prophetic book called the book of Revelation. Today I'll be speaking on the subject, The Wonder of the Beast, and it's found in our context today, which is Revelation chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. And so I want to read those, and if you have a copy of a uh, of the Bible, then you want to follow along, I encourage you to do that or pause it and go get your copy and read it. It's always good if you can participate with taking notes or reading at the same time that you hear a message. So the context again is Revelation chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. I'll read these to you. The uh, Word of God reads beginning in verse 7 of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has a seven heads and ten horns. The beast you saw was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Well, once again, we're in this uh, uh, this chapter that we have called simply every time is an amazing chapter. It is a very important chapter to understand, and I know that it's uh, it can be confusing because I've heard from some of the listeners that it is very confusing. And through the years and teaching this, people just will throw their hands up and say, "I just don't get it. I don't see it. I don't want to read it. Don't want to study it." I've even had pastors do that. Uh, but the Word of God promises that we can uh, be blessed by this. It says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So I think it's great that we're going through this book. I pray, I think it's great that you're listening, following along, if you've been one of the ones who have been following along. If not, perhaps you will. If you have not heard these already on chapter seven, chapter 17, then I encourage you to go back and listen to them. But I'm going to begin tonight in in chapter 17, verse 7, that I've already read to you. And I want you to see some things, because in, in, in starting in this verse, it says, And the angel said to me, this is John speaking, and he's speaking in the very first person. You'll see that, because John says, he's, The angel said to me, and then he says, uh, uh, following up on what he said in verse 6, I wondered greatly, And so then he says, the angel says to me after that, why do you wonder? Well, you might think, well, that's a silly question. Uh, At the end of verse 6, after what John sees, I think we would all wonder greatly. Uh, And we don't argue with that. We wouldn't even question that. If you saw something like that, you'd wonder too. But the question is not supposed to attach itself, I don't think, to any kind of an understanding, as much as I think what the angel is really saying is this. Why are you so worried about what this means? I'm going to tell you. Uh, and this is really what the angel is saying to John. He's, John is, and Remember, John has seen a lot. There have been several, many different visions, and some of them long, some of them brief, of what he is seeing while in the spirit called up into heaven to see this. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. So for him to say, I, I wondered greatly in verse 6, 
is uh, quite the statement coming from John. But why are you worried about what it means? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Now, the angel speaking, and this is a very incredible section here, uh, and it's a conversation between the angel and John. This angel who is identified in verse 1 as one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls uh, is here by God's dispatch to describe to John the meaning of this. <clears throat> now, remember now, we can have no understanding about any of this except it were not by permission of God and God revealing to us what this actually all is saying. But the angel is saying, you don't need to wonder. You don't need to be left in the dark. Uh, I'm here. You don't need to be confused. I'm going to show you what it is. I'll take care of your confused moment and uh, help you with the understanding here. But I want to go a little bit further into this and, and, and help you to see that the mystery to John is surely not that this is a religious system. That's not the mystery. The mystery to John, I believe, and I know several other writers say this too, so I feel like I'm either copying them or I just agree with them, that John, the mystery to John is how does this system of religion relate to this scarlet beast? John knows about the beast. He's already written very detailed information about the beast that came up out of the, came up out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13 and clearly defined as the world ruler uh, with whom the world will end up worshiping. And that's in Revelation chapter 13, 13. So now when a new component is introduced to the religious side, a harlot who is pulling together a worldwide system of false religion, I think what comes into John's mind is simply, well, how, how does this, how do this, these two mesh together? How is this woman connected to the beast? And, 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 and you know what he wrote in Revelation chapter 13 as far as the one world religion, but this beast is not uh, carrying the one world religion. That's going to change just a little bit. This religious uh, description here of the great whore of Babylon, this harlot that is described here, is not the final one world religion uh, because that comes later. The one world religion is uh, actually what is talked about in Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 13. But I want to try to explain that and pull this together, so I want you to hang with me. It may well be the key ideas implied in what the angel says by this one word or two words carries her. I want you to see that in, in verse 7. I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. The little phrase that carries her to explain to you their relationship. Now, I want you to notice that this beast is the one who's really the ultimate final antichrist. And there are many antichrists we know from Matthew, chapter 20, Matthew 24, Luke 18, that we know that there are many of those, but this is the final one, the, the most powerful one that Satan could put forth. Uh, this one is the most heinous, the most powerful of all. This one is defined as having seven heads, ten horns, and the vision. Now, by the way, that's also stated as uh, verse 3 with the scarlet beast full of blasphemous names in, in Revelation 17. But look at the beast and the description of the beast. It starts immediately in verse 8. And, but I, I, I kind of want to just kind of rearrange or talk about these verses because it gets to be confusing just a little bit. In verse 7, he says, I want to give you the full understanding of the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, but then he jumps right to the beast. 
So the first thing he says in, in verse 7 is that John is told, I'll tell you the mystery of the woman, the harlot. Uh, and then, in order to do that, I want us to stop right there and just look at that little bit of verse 7. I'll tell you the mystery of the woman, the harlot, but I want you to read verse 18. Go to verse 18 real quick, and you'll see the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So verse 18 says something, adds something more to what John has given in verse 7. Now keep in mind, he's explaining who this woman is, who this harlot is. First was exposed to several things about her in verses 1 through 6. Then in verse 7, the explanation, I'll tell you about this woman and the beast. And then he says, but he digresses, and he goes straight to a discussion of the beast. So, I won't do, let's go right to the woman, because I think it's easier to grasp who this harlot is, or who is this woman. This woman, this religious system, is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And, uh, you know, I know there's so much controversy. Is this an actual city? Uh, is this real city? Or is this a system of religion? Well, all I can tell you is in verse 18, actually says a geographical city. So with all I can uh, say about that, you, you, you can get a real uh, exotic and make it meaningful if you want to by adding a lot of speculation, but there's no need to do that because I think there's enough here to give us some information. Babylon then may well be here as a, re as a real city, which I think it is, but it's not just a city. Uh, I think that we can see from so much of prophecy that Babylon is a city it has been a city, it's been destroyed, and now it's been partially rebuilt, uh, brought about by Saddam Hussein. And I think in the latter days of the uh, tribulation period, at least in the second half, the capital city for the Antichrist Empire will be Babylon, uh, at least as far as we can tell right now with reading this. But it is also, Babylon is the name of a worldwide system of satanic rule. You cannot forget that. It's much more than a city. In fact, if you were to see pictures of Babylon now, you'd think, good night, is that really all that is? Uh, but it is growing. It is, they, are, they are adding to it constantly, and so it is growing. It's also Babylon to describe a worldwide cult and false religion. We've talked about that. The evil religious system will come home to the place where it all started as well as the ideology that's where it started and what it started with. And that is this place called Babylon, this very real place. Remember, it was the Tower of Babylon. We talked about that two lessons ago. It will apparently reach its zenith in the kingdom of the Antichrist. I think we see that. Uh, where there will be a rebuilt, completely rebuilt, or mostly rebuilt city called Babylon. Uh, just to affirm that, we go to Revelation chapter 18, which is still future, and it talks about that city. Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city. Now, I know I'm not crazy about this or, or, or stupid about this. There are many people that say this Babylon is not a real Babylon named city. It's actually a reference to the United States. Well, you know, it could be. I'm not going to be dogmatic at this point, but to me, I see it as Babylon. Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come, in verse 18 uh, of, of the next next chapter. Uh, what city is like the great city? It seems to be a literal city, 
Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence, will not be found any longer. And I think we can see this in, in some of the prophecies. I think Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, for example, or Jeremiah chapter 15 and 51 talk about uh, these prophets speak about the final destruction of Babylon. And we know, as, as many Old Testament uh, prophecies are, are given, that there are, there's a, a, a new and there's an old fulfillment. Uh, and many of the prophecies of Babylon have already been fulfilled, but many have not been fulfilled, which would tell us that the city is going to have to re be rebuilt because those prophecies haven't happened yet. And if there's prophecy, it has to happen. Remember, we talked about the harmony of Scripture. No one verse can contradict any other verse. If it does, if you see a controversy, a controversial verse, or one where one conflicts with another, then your your translation, or your evaluation, or your observation, or interpretation, any of those is is wrong because they do not contradict. So we know there will be a future Babylon in order for all the components of all the prophecies against Babylon to be fulfilled. Remember this, Babylon has to be there at the original spot where it was earlier in the Old Testament. So Babylon has to be there and destroyed finally in the end to be able to fulfill the scriptures and the prophecies that talk about that. Babylon is being rebuilt. Babylon is a very great place to build a city. Many through the years have talked about this. I know that uh, John MacArthur talks about Arnold uh, Toynbee uh, used to stress to his students that Babylon would be the great or the best place in the world to build a future world cultural metropolitan area. So the world's religious system will somehow be connected with that great city called Babylon, which will be, in a sense, the capital city of the Antichrist Empire. Now, folks, we're not far from that now. I mean, we can already begin to see how this could take shape almost immediately as the tribulation were to begin. You go back to verse 15, and he said, The waters which you saw the harlot sitting are peoples and multitudes. By the way, this is verse 15 of, of Revelation 17. And as I said early, remember now, this cities, the cities were built by water. Babylon being next to the Tigris River, <coughs> excuse me, and the Euphrates, a great water supply coming, as we said, from Mount Ararat and other mountains to the north, flowing right down through Babylon down to the Gulf. So it would be a great place to, to finish this out or to have a city so that the rest of the prophecies can be expressed or fulfilled. So, when you look at this, there will be a city in which there is a system. That system will become the Mecca for the worldwide religion, as well as in chapter 18, we will see the worldwide economy. Remember, chapter 17 of Revelation speaks to the religious side of the, of the uh, last world empire, as well as chapter 18 speaking of the worldwide economy. So the system becomes the place in which the whole world traffics. Is that happening right now? Not at this minute. It is a true, it, or it is the capital city of the world empire of Satan. Babylon the city, Babylon the great, uh, is, is all there in the end, and it is very much talked about in Revelation 17 and 18. Now, 
the phrase in verse 8. The angel chooses to give John a rather lengthy explanation of the beast that runs from verse 8 all the way to 14. Well, why does he do this? Because he's saying, I'm going to, uh, in verse 7, he says, I shall tell you the mystery of the woman. But then he goes into these all these verses about the beast. Well, I believe he does this because he's going to explain the significance of the harlot. But in order to understand the significance of the harlot, you have to understand her relationship to the beast. And that's what's in John's mind, and that's why he's wondering. And so the discussion becomes centered on that. So here, the explanation of the Greek word for wild beast she's riding on, she's sitting on this scarlet beast, verse 3 tells us, the beast that you saw, which was, is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction, this is the way verse 8 describes it. Now, we take this in small bits and pieces or bite-sized pieces, if we can, to understand some more about this beast. Remember, by understanding the beast, you can understand more of the relationship between the, the false religious system and the beast. So, the beast that you saw, <coughs> excuse me, that is the world ruler that rises in the last days. We've seen that. Satan's man embodying all the powers of human genius, leadership, that eventually energized by hell itself. Uh, this one who uh, Daniel talks about uh, will be an intellectual genius as an outstanding speaker, orator. He's a master politician. Daniel says in chapter 11, verse 8, he draws him up as a commercial wizard. Back in chapter 7, he portrays him as a military mastermind, as a man of unequaled power. That's all talking about the Antichrist. It's all talking about this beast that we see written here. The beast is the Antichrist. So when you begin to understand these, it begins to flow just a little bit better. Now in the New Testament, Apostle Paul uh, describes him as a rather religious man, a kind of royal blasphemer against God. He is a thousand uh, uh, like Adolf Hitler's, he's a, he's, he's a very, very powerful. He's, a, he's the best that Satan can do. He's the most incredible human leader ever in the terms of human powers. His human genius, he is Satan's supreme human instrument. And remember, he's bringing all this forth, Satan is, so he can go after and destroy Israel to prevent her salvation and her kingdom, to kill believers and to conquer the world for Satan, to defeat Christ. That's his goal. And so he's naturally going to come after Israel. He's naturally going to come after believers. And he's naturally going to use deception to try to do it. So, now let's learn something about him. He is the beast that was, is not, and is about to come. That's a phrase that is used and that, that doesn't have to confuse us. You go back to chapter 13, if we had time to go back into that. We could see that the beast is first introduced there in one of his heads in verse 3 has been slain as if he's had a fatal wound. I think the wound again, or the wound against him that was apparently fatal, it says there, or it leads us to believe it's fatal, and his healing of a fatal wound caused the whole world to be amazed and to follow after the beast and to worship the dragon and the, rat and the worship of the beast, saying, who is like the beast? So that's all in Revelation 13. But down in verse 12, we come to the false prophet of that same chapter, exercising all the authority of the first beast. He makes the earth, and we, we've seen all this, worship this beast who has uh, uh, 
supposedly had this fatal wound who's been healed. And so what we've got here is we've got a beast who was, who is not, and who comes. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that what Revelation 13, chapter 13 says is actually going to be believed by the world, speaking about the death wound and this Antichrist, this human being, coming back to life. I told you that at the time, we, and we, we, we know, we've looked at this, that it's, I think it's satanically faked counterfeit resurrection. It's somehow when the Antichrist reaches a certain level of great power, he has to be uh, exalted or lifted to a higher plane of power, and for the first period of the tribulation period, the religious system of Babylon exists. All the world is being gathered into one great world religion. And I think that is exactly uh, what I'm trying to say is that I think that is being, it's going to be headed up by the Catholic Church, unifying the world to be one world, real world religion. And the economic system exists over there. The false prophet runs the religious system. The Antichrist runs the political. And they coexist. The moment is coming when the Antichrist, to take over everything, and in order to move him to the next level, he experiences a, a so-called death and a fabrication of a resurrection. And when that happens, the Antichrist, who was apparently dead, comes back. And when he comes back, he is now very different. I think that's what we can see from Revelation 13 to Revelation 17. He is intolerant of the religious system that has been in place through the Catholic Church. <coughs> Excuse me. And he wants to destroy it. This all happens after the so-called resurrection. The beast that you saw, it says in verse 8 of Revelation 17, that you saw was, is not, and it's about to come up out of the abyss. It's a reference to the same thing as the sea in Revelation 13.1. The abyss is the abode of demons. The abyss is the hell, the dark place, the underworld of Satan. And what happens in this state resurrection, I think, is that the Antichrist supposedly is resuscitated, comes back to life. He is no longer, I think at this point, a purely human leader. I think he has now become the dwelling place of many a great demons out of the pit, and he is then catapulted to another level of leadership and takeover of the world. The false prophet then coming alongside, doing signs and wonders. Remember now, you have the beast, you have the you have Satan himself, you have the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. All are working with demonic powers from Satan himself to deceive the world into believing that who this Antichrist is, he is going to be looked at as the savior of the world. The abyss is the abode of the dead, the abode of demons. And so we've seen that in chapter 9 of Revelation, chapter 11 of Revelation. The beast then is the Antichrist. Now, let me just go a little bit step further. When it says beast, it's also referring to his kingdom. But now, just to give you a couple of summary statements, because I think this is so important to see this, is to understand it like this. A man who we, 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 we are calling the beast in Revelation 17 and in Revelation 13 is the Antichrist, rises as a world ruler at the beginning of a period called the tribulation period, the beginning of the seven years, 
He conquers the world without war, it says in chapter 6. He rides on a white horse conquering, and to conquer he has a bow but no arrows. He does, uh, how does he conquer peacefully? He conquers by allying himself, I believe, with the religious system. This is where I think he joins forces with the religious system or the Catholic Church that has come together and has gathered the entire world, unifying this religious experience for the entire world will be through the Catholic Church. And he takes advantage of collecting of the humanity under this one world banner, unifying leadership. And so he, he, he heads it up. He then leads the world politically, economically, and militarily. He is powerfully gifted man. And he leads the world on the economic side as he, the Antichrist, will do. And the false prophet is used on the religious side. They do fine together. And what it means is when it says the harlot rides a beast, means they coexist well together at first, for the first three and a half years. In fact, he even supports her. His death then is fabricated. He supposedly comes to life. Then he is infused by demons, perhaps even Satan himself, I don't know. He is infused by demons from hell itself. He is energized into this final form of satanic power. He thinks he's now at the apex. He's going to take over the world. And his moment of doing away with Israel, believers, and coming against Christ himself is where he thinks he's going. But verse 8 of Revelation 17 says that he is about to come up out of the abyss to go to destruction. He doesn't know where he's going. You think, well, doesn't he read scripture? I don't know. He misunderstands where he's going. The word here for destruction is perdition. It's the word for eternal damnation. For him, it means the lake of fire that burns forever and ever with fire and brimstone that, it's, that is stated explicitly in Revelation 19 and 20. <coughs> and, of course, we'll look at all that. But at this point of the, of the resurrection is when he comes and takes over. You say, well, it, 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 is it at that point he does away with all religion of the world? No, he does not. I know that question has been asked, that the world, that we might be thinking, <coughs> excuse me, battling, still battling a cold. There will be plenty of religion. Some might say there's no religion, but it will be religion. He may do away with the, the harlot riding on coexisting with him, but he's going to do away with that. But it doesn't mean he does away with religion. It just means it changes. To what? Well, it's going to be a new religion. And that is where the midpoint of the tribulation begins with the worship of not through the Catholic Church. It will not be all these other religions brought together. We're going to see what happens to that later. But it's going to be the worship of the Antichrist himself. That's where it ultimately goes. <clears throat> Back to verse 8 here in Revelation 17. Such powerful thing that he has done. Such a seduction. Such deception. It says there, and those who dwell on the earth will wonder. That's why I'm calling this the wonder of the beast. They will be amazed. They will wonder over him. Those who dwell on the earth is a common term for the ungodly used over and over again in the book of Revelation. 
those who are enamored with the beast, those who do not understand that he is on his way to hell, they look at him as the way he's proclaiming. Remember, they're going to be deceived. And 2 Thessalonians tells us that God's going to enhance that deception by giving the world a spirit of deception where they will believe the lie. What lie? Any lie that comes out of that Antichrist mouth, I believe it's referring to. But the and who are they? Well, he, he describes these people that are going to be in wonder of the beast and not really understand who he is. They're going to believe who he says he is. Well, who are they? Well, verse 8 describes them. <coughs> it says, The beast that you saw was and is not is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder. Now here it describes them. And we've seen this description before. Whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that he was, is not, and will come. In other words, they are going to be amazed at this. These are people whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, who is that? Well, it's a rare negative regarding the elect. It's, it's what it is saying here is that the people who follow the beast are non-elect people. Now, I know some people get turned off with the word God's elect or God's non-elect, but it says it here that those whose names were not written. Well, let me ask you a question. Think about this. When was your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Was it the moment you were saved, which could be, or was it the moment you became the, the target of, of God's love as he recorded your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because it says the names were written before the foundation of the world. Well, let me tell you when that was. Before the foundation of the world is before Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's before that is when your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, guess what? I know there's, that brings up a lot of questions, but these people that he's talking about here in Revelation 17, 8, never have had <coughs> their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, there's no way to have your name written and have it erased. That doesn't happen. There's no way to have your name blotted out. Your name is recorded way before you were ever even a part of this world. Think about that. And this is the way backwards to say it. The non-elect people whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life, which God wrote of the elect in the Book of Life, is the reverse way of saying the only believers will escape the deception. That's what he's saying. All other people, other than believers, will not escape the deception. Matthew 24 says that, that the deception will be so great that if it were possible, he would deceive what? Even the, here it goes again, the elect. Well, who are the elect? The elect are those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before Genesis 1-1. That's who they are. Everybody else are referred to as those whose names were not. They are the non-elect, or they are the unbelievers of the world during this time. They are the ones that are going to marvel. Man, they're going to look at him as, as the Savior. 
The only people who are going to be traumatized, who are going to be marveling, who are going to be trapped into deception, are the people who do not fit into the category of those whose names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. These are all Christ's rejectors. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, we say God's word sometimes, we take it so light, so for granted. But this is what this is talking about. Uh, in chapter 13, we read, who is like the beast is what they say. Man, who is like him? Who is able to wage war with him? And what do they do? They worship him. I know that when I was in Revelation 13, I asked the question, who in their right mind would worship that man? Well, it tells us the whole world of unbelievers will worship him. Every unbeliever at that time will worship him. Now, here's what that's also saying. Those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life will not worship him. Well, guess what? Some of those people whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life are not even saved at the point of the tribulation midway point yet when he's being revealed and called upon to worship. But for some reason, they do not buy into it. They are protected. Now, who am I talking about? Well, when, the Lamb, when your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you weren't even born physically. So you would certainly weren't born spiritually, right? Well, you were born physically, and then one day God opened your heart, and you became a born-again believer. Well, some of, some of the people in tribulation period, that hasn't happened yet. They have not been given the new heart yet, and so they will not worship the beast. Because it doesn't say all those who are, who are believers at that point. It says all those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life will not worship the beast. Think about that. I'm not trying to deceive anyone. I'm just giving you the facts of Scripture. Praise the Lord for the truth of the Word of God. Well, for now, this is William Rogers. I thank you for joining me. And we don't have to have the same wonder and amazement about the beast, the Antichrist coming, as the world will have. We know he is the master deceiver. We know his game plan. And it is anti-God. We don't want any part of him. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Christ. We're not looking for the, the tribulation. We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for our Savior to be our Redeemer in glory. Thank you for listening again today. For now, this is William Rogers. Next time we'll look at a little bit further in this, we'll hit beginning in verse 9 of Revelation 17. Thank you for joining